uh, a little bit different, but I'm so glad to be with you all. Um, and we're going to open God's Word together uh, from 2 Kings 19, uh, which is, yeah, I'm really excited about to do that with you. Uh, so recently, uh, I taught my son Atticus uh, to ride a bike. Uh, you might have seen him, he was sitting down at the front. Uh, we took off the training wheels that had been on for a couple of years, and we did that classic thing. He was ready to go. I knew what I was going to do, so I was running behind him, grabbing the back of the seat, uh, just shouting pedal as much as I could, and he was pedaling hard. Uh, little did he know that I was holding on the whole time. So we finished, uh, he felt like he'd had a good ride of the bike without the training wheels on. Uh, I was holding on, like I said, and he stopped. He was super excited and he just said, I did it. I want to have to run inside and tell mum what just happened. Uh, he was so excited, but I didn't have the heart to tell him uh, that I was holding on this whole time. Our text today, we see God and the Israelites in a situation where most people have forgotten that he is holding the back of the seat. Please turn to 2 Kings 19, uh, unless you're there already. It's in page uh, 326 uh, of the Pew Bibles in front of you. And 2 Kings uh, is part of a double whammy deep in the Old Testament uh, that looks at uh, the ancient kings in ancient Israel. And first and second kings, they're just saturated with Israelite history. And what sticks out in these books and in our text for today is the important reminder for them and for us that Yahweh is in total control. No idol, no king, or suppose other god controls history, but only the Lord our God, only Yahweh. Whatever happens in our life, whoever is in charge of our country or our state or the, the area that we live in, it is God that is in control. And so we need not fear. This is such great news. So where we have today, we have the Israelite people in a completely devastating situation. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple, the symbol of Yahweh's presence with Israel has been destroyed. Friends and neighbors were dead. Family members had been deported and had to go and work in other nations. New kings were in charge. And so people had begun to question if Yahweh was in control or how could he be in charge if all of this had happened, God had demonstrated in the time of Moses and others that he was in charge of nature and history. But perhaps these other gods, perhaps those in charge of this region, maybe they were in control. These were the kinds of questions that were thick in the air as we enter these two books. And these books answer these questions wholeheartedly by showing us and reminding the God's chosen people that not only is he with them in whatever circumstances, but he is in control and sovereign over them all. This is something that I think we need to hear today uh, in 2020 or uh, today in 2021 or whatever's been going on in your life in the past decade. God is with us and he calls his people. He cares for them. He loves them. He protects them and he guides them. Friends, we can have hope because we know that with even greater certainty than we'll see with Hezekiah and the people of Israel, that at the end of the second of Second Kings, we see that there is a future king coming. They had that hope. Friends, even greater for us, we know that that king has come. His name is Jesus and his kingdom has arrived. We know the end of this story. So we'll read the text in a second, but let's jump right into the scene. 
So Hezekiah, uh, he's the king on the throne, and he's really one of Judah's best kings among, honestly, a really bad bunch. He looks, he is a good guy here, so he really is the good guy of our story. And back in chapter 18, if you scan up a little bit, Hezekiah is described as someone who trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, for he held fast to the Lord. I mean, that is fairly high praise. Here, Hezekiah has come up against a guy called Sennacherib, and he's the bad guy of our story this morning. He is one of the most powerful and famous kings of Assyria. We read that Sennacherib, and again, that's a hard name to say, so just bear with me if I get it wrong. Sennacherib has taken control of all 14 cities of Judah and sent his men with a message to be read to all the people in these towns. This just declares his own power and majesty and tells them that their God cannot help them. It is he that is in control and he will provide for them. Sennacherib arrogantly and foolishly declares himself the one who is in charge and sees uh, control as being in his own hands. So the people of Judah have been screamed at and shouted at by these aggressive uh, invading kings and soldiers. And this is where we land as we get to chapter 19. I just want you guys to know a little bit about what's going on in the text before uh, I read it for us. So let's turn there together. Uh, 2 Kings 19. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, had sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Terhakeh, king of Cush, Behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messages again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to the Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let your God in, whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the king of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the God of the nations delivered them, the nations that my father destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Zephyr, and the people of Eden who were in Telassa? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharavim? the king of Hena, or the king of Eva. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, 
but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you. The virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, With many chariots I have gone up the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered into its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up the sole of my foot, all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This, your eat, uh, this year eat what grows of itself and in the second year what springs of the same. Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the way same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sharezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Yeah, well, there's a lot going on there. And we see how powerful and incredible God is, how he is truly the one in control. I think as we look at this chapter and we see what's going on, I think the main point of our text, if you're taking notes, is the Lord our God is the Holy One. So lift up your voice in prayer and not in pride. That's the Lord our God is the Holy One. So lift up your voice in prayer and not in pride. And I have three points for us. Uh, we'll be looking first at uh, point one, which is raising our voice in pride. Then point two, raising our voice in prayer. And then a short third point is the result. So that's raising our voice in pride, raising our voice in prayer, and a short third point, the result. So let's begin with pride. So we have Sennacherib, 
being really, as you can see, one of the most arrogant examples of someone you can find raising their voice against God. If you scan briefly uh, back up to chapter 18 and verses 28 to 37, just at that last section, you'll see how prideful Sennacherib and his generals and officials are. He's simply uh, calling Hezekiah and the God of Israel a liar. He says several times, do not listen to Hezekiah. You can almost hear him in a mocking childish voice saying, boo-hoo, don't listen to Hezekiah when he tells you to trust the Lord. The Lord will deliver. He's, he's laughing in their face, arrogantly, putting himself in position. Friends, I wonder if this sounds a little bit too familiar this morning. If you've been a Christian long enough and lived and worked and made friends in this world, then you'll recognize this tone, these little laughs, these little sniggers behind a hand when you say you're a Christian or you say that you pray to a God or that you think there's even a God out there. Sennacherib had no idea who he was dealing with. He has no idea what he is saying about the God of the universe. Perhaps you're here today and you don't follow Jesus and perhaps you chuckle every time someone talks about God. Well, friends, this is you. You are mocking God. There's really, sadly, no way to sugarcoat that. What I want you to understand and to see is God is real. God is true, but God is also loving and merciful. But he does not like to be mocked. This is a tiny bit like that moment in high school, and it happened to a couple of my friends, where they were talking about the teacher or the school principal, and you, sitting chatting to them, realized in horror that that teacher or the principal was right behind them. And they were carrying on, and you realized just with this, and they could all of a sudden see that shock on your face as you were just like. <laughs> this is exactly what we're seeing here, friends. They were mouthing off and looking left and right, doing whatever they wanted, but saying the people of God in here in Jerusalem are truly terrified, and that's not to be undermined. They knew that Sennacherib could kill and destroy the city. This is a real threat they're dealing with, with Sennacherib. But they know, as Sennacherib didn't, that God is not just a wooden statue or not just a, a stone carving in the corner of some sort of uh, desert tribe, but he's God, the one true God. That's who we're dealing with this morning. We'll come back to look at Hezekiah, but let's first take a look at verses 4 and 6, if you're tracking along. In verse 4, some of Hezekiah's closest team members go and visit Isaiah. And that interaction we see is recorded here. We get a first look at the impact of what Sennacherib had said and what that means. It's here in verse 4 that we read that these words are taken as mockery of the living God. And that is God has actually heard what they've said. God has heard them and is now said to be engaging personally with this foreign king who's turning his back against him. It's crucial for us to know, friends, that God hears and he knows our actions. He knows everything that's going on in our lives. He hears what is going on in our minds, the things we think in our hearts. 
Sennacherib's words are shown as requiring a, a rebuke, and I think rightly so. He has suggested that he, and not God, is able to save the people, that they should put their trust in him, <laughs> not Hezekiah and his little God. Deary me, Sennacherib is full of pride, thinking that he knows better than God. Friends, take a look at verse 6 and 7, where I just want to put a quick bookmark in the text for you. Isaiah responds to these mocking calls and tells the guys that they don't need to worry, as God is in control. God is going to influence Sennacherib to think that he must return home. And it's here that we know, as we read the end, Sennacherib will die. Isaiah is just giving them a little reminder that friends, and he wants to say the same to each of us this morning, that God has got this. God is in control. There is no need to worry. Sennacherib continues with his arrogance in verse 8 to 13, taunting God's people and his self-confidence right in the face of God. We already know what's going to happen, but Hezekiah and the others are terrified. Verse 10 is crucial and it's difficult to read. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. He then just carries on telling all of this, what his family have done, how there is none greater, how they can just do whatever they want. Friends, in our society, in our day, we can easily look around and see the wicked prospering. We see awful men and women with wealth and power, and that can be incredibly frustrating. But friends, do you really believe that God is in control? Think about that for a second. Do you really believe that? Do you truly understand that God has ordained for you to do what, the, what you're doing today, what you've done this week, the job that you have, to earn the amount that you have, or to live in the place that you do, the house that you have? Perhaps you don't like living in Goodyear. Perhaps you don't like your boss. Perhaps you're incredibly frustrated with the neighbors you have. Friends, God has chosen for you to be right where you are. Not only today, sitting in this room, hearing this message, especially if you're not a Christian friend, God has brought you here this morning. But friends, if you are of the people of God, if you've put your trust in him, then for all of us, we know, we can put our trust in that God has put you where he has you. We can trust in him. But friends, thankfully, Goodyear, or Phoenix, or the US, or Scotland, or any other place, whether you like it or not, this is not our final home. In this world, we all know pain and suffering, heartache and frustration, we all know that, but there will come a day when all of this will pass. And if you trusted in Jesus and repented of your sins, then friends, you will go to be with him in a new heaven and a new earth, and like here in this story, we know what is going to happen. As we continue to look at pride, friends, in verses 20 and 34, or 22, 34, we see that through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, God's word against Sennacherib and pronouncing God's accusation and judgment against him blow by blow. Not only has Sennacherib thrown shade at God by mocking him and reviling him, as we've already looked at, but he has raised his voice against God. Imagine somehow that he is on the same level as God, and he is, una- is in some way able to look God in the eye, and we see that. Look at me at verse 21 and 22. 
Jerusalem here is the daughter of Zion mentioned and the one that has been wronged by Sennacherib. Jerusalem that now sits scoffing at his pride. They have God on their side, friends. This changes everything. We, you at Redeeming Grace, you have God on your side. You in your workplace, whether you like it or you enjoy it or not, you have God on your side. It doesn't matter what this world throws at you, how society might change the rules or arrogantly tell you what you believe is true or not true. God is with us. Verse 22 continues uh, this judgment on Sennacherib, pointing out that he has lifted his eyes to the heights. Sennacherib saw Yahweh, the holy God of Israel, as we see in verse 22, as just some measly regional God of some insignificant corner of of some sort of kingdom that he would probably destroy. He didn't care. He had no idea who God was. Isaiah's accusation continues, saying he was raising his voice against God. He thought himself, friends, able to look God in the eye as if somehow on the same level as God. Surely not. Surely he was not arguing with the King of Kings, the Holy One from heaven. You may sit and scoff and because we would never do this, would we, friends? We would never do that. But perhaps there have been many days this week where you didn't start your day off in prayer. Or maybe you've tried to do something, just even just one thing this week, in your own strength. Is this not exactly what we are guilty of doing? Perhaps when we think we know better, when something doesn't go the way we've planned and we publicly say, oh yes, I shall do that, Lord willing, or you say something like that, or yeah, God's got this. But what we actually mean in our heart of hearts often is, I expect it to happen my way. I expect it to go the way I've planned. Friends, we are challenging God. For Sennacherib, for him to have lifted his eyes to the heights, Isaiah is suggesting that he is attempting to look God face to face, that he considers himself on the same level as God. Of other kings, we see Isaiah use the same accusation and explain it, saying in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. When we understand who God is, how holy he is, friends, we should tremble at this thought. This should make us cringe and shudder when we think about any time, and we've all done it, including myself, when we've tried to put our throne next to God's or to try and sit on his throne. Friends, this is God we're dealing with. Verse 23 and 28 continues, you have mocked the Lord. Interestingly, we see four uses here of the word I when referring to how Sennacherib sees what he has been doing. How, friends, how important is the word I in what you do? I will do this. I shall do this. I expect this. But friends, in verse 25, the prophet Isaiah pulls the handbrake and says, have you not heard that I planned it long ago? He turns the tables. God knew what was going to happen. God has planned it all. Whatever you're going through today, friends, good or bad, I don't know many of your situations, but God knows. God really cares. God has planned it all. 
and we know that he has made a way. We have great hope, friends. We know the end. So this section on pride, this lands back in verse 28, where we see there is a pointing back to Psalm 2. We read about the nations raging. This is what the nations do. They don't love God. The world rejects God. They don't love his word and his way and his will. But as the people of God, as the people of God here at Redeeming Grace, it should be the opposite. Are you a people who love God's word, love God's way, and pursue God's will? I want you guys to think about that this week. Think about that in your home groups. Think about that in your marriages, in your own devotional times. These are good questions to ask yourself. This is how, as the people of God, you should be described. So this is a dire situation. The arrogant king is at the front door. He's banging on the door. And how does Hezekiah respond? How do you respond, friends, when the world is banging on the door, when the world is challenging who you are, challenging who God is, and trying to change the rules of the game? And that leads us to point two, prayer. Hezekiah assesses the situation. He realizes very quickly his own weakness and he humbles himself immediately before God. He approaches God's throne and he prays. Yes, he tried bargaining with Sennacherib. We saw how that has gone. Uh, If you take the time this week to go back a few chapters and read what's going on, you'll see Sennacherib tried other things. uh, Hezekiah tried other things with Sennacherib. Hezekiah is not perfect. But he now reaches a point, as I hope all of us will or have done at some point, where we realize we can only run to God. And this should be the first thing we do. So right from verse 1, we see it. Hezekiah, it says, went into the house of the Lord. He goes and prays immediately, and then he summons the prophet Isaiah, the mediator that they had at the time, and he asks for a word from God recognizing that the situation, friends, is serious. We see the reference in a couple of verses later of the baby being born in verse 3, where there's no strength to deliver it. For the remnant in Israel, deliverance from Sennacherib seems nearly impossible and only able to happen with God's help. Friends, how do you respond when life is hard? Do you turn to the gods of Netflix or Hulu The God of perhaps Papa John or Pizza Hut. Perhaps it's the God of Don Julio or Johnny Walker. For others, maybe it's Instagram. Maybe your spouse. Maybe your grandkids. Perhaps your job. How quickly do we all turn to others for satisfaction and validation? When we should, friends, be turning to God. It takes humility and conviction that you cannot do it on your own. And I know this is hard, but we are to run to God in prayer. This should be our first instinct. This should be the first thing we do. We then see that Hezekiah is honest, and he recognizes that he is unable to do what needs to be done. Sometimes this is the case. God has given us what we need, and we can just go ahead. We feel ready and equipped for the task. And we approach the task understanding that. This, though, was a task that Hezekiah looked at. 
He analyzed and he knew humbly that he needed God's help. As he says, only God could save. His hope was in God and his care was concerning the reputation of God. In verse four, we see that he is troubled about those that mock God. Who do we, friends, care more about? Do we worry more about what others will think about us or do we care more about God's reputation? It'll become harder and harder. As you've probably seen in recent months and years, it'll be harder to stand up for what is right in this world. And friends, we need to ask God's help in caring about people who say that different things about God's truth or God's word or who God is. We should care when people speak up against God, trying to say something false about him or his holy name or accuse God of doing something that is not part of his character. There are some of us here today that have come close to thinking that we can look God square in the eye. That we have lifted our eyes to up to the heights as Sennacherib did. But there are others of us who have also lifted other people up to this height. And we view them as the Lord of our lives. This is also why we should, friends, be praying for our leaders. We should be praying for Mayor Lord or Governor Ducey or President Biden. This should be the case in 2020 or 2021 or every year, regardless of who you voted for, regardless of how popular someone is. I hope you regularly pray for those in authority, as we even heard this morning. Those are who God has placed in control. He has given them authority over us just for a season. But he is in control. Friends, do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for them outside of this meeting? Do you pray for them in the week? Do you pray for your elders? Do you pray for your home group leader? I don't know if you have a membership directory, but do you pray for other members of this church? Friends, it's fine. If you don't do that regularly, there's still time this week. There's still time tonight. Maybe even start for the first time. There's never too late to start. I'd encourage you to be praying this week. Pray for your leaders, pray for your elders, and pray for one another. Hezekiah here has to hear Isaiah's word from God and then step out and trust that God will keep his word. We see that in verses 14 to 19 where Hezekiah prays. For both Sennacherib and Hezekiah, we see how their theology has a huge impact on how they act and the decisions they make. Friends, that's the same for us. You guys clearly have things going on. There is biblical theology here happening at 9.30. There's a women's theology event next weekend. These are great opportunities to grow and strengthen your theology, to grow and strengthen your understanding of who God is. Take advantage of those opportunities. Get involved. Friends, our theology is incredibly important. This is true for all of us, not just the pastors, not just the elders or the home group leaders, not just the men. This is for men and women and to be training your children to do the same. This is true for all of us. How we view God, if we view the Bible as true and the living word of God, if we believe that God keeps his promises, if he is really trustworthy and true, we understand that he is sovereign. These should all have an effect on the decisions we make. Hezekiah, as we see in verse 15, recognizes that God is the God of Israel. 
Yes, but that he is also God alone. Over all the kingdoms of the earth, it says. Friends, is this how you see God? Do you see God as the only God? Or do you see him as one of many gods to pray to? Friends, he is the only God. And he is jealous for your affection and your worship. Hezekiah, we know, he sees God as the God of the universe, the only God of all the kingdoms of earth, the one who put the sun and moon and stars in their place. Friends, how do you view God? Do you see him just a, a maybe a small wooden figure on your, uh, in your dining room that maybe you pray to once every evening as you bless your food? Or some sort of regional uh, God who can just, you come to for small things in your life, but never the big things. Do you see him as the Holy One who, as Hezekiah prays, has made heaven and earth? The one who Hezekiah describes as being the living God, as he is living and active today. He's not dead. He's not a statue on your wall. He is the one who can do the impossible things like save people without an army, or turn a king, as we'll see, away from his plan, or save wretched sinners like me and like you. Finally, as we look at Hezekiah's response in verse 19, we see that all of this, he asks, is to be for the glory of God. Yes, Hezekiah wishes to live. Yes, Hezekiah is desperate to not have Sennacherib invade their country. But Hezekiah... But Hezekiah knows all of this is by God and for God. Is that how you pray, friends? Is that how you view your life? Is that how you view your job or your parenting or the things you do during the week? Do you do those for the glory of God, for his name to be glorified? Or as we've all done, friends, do you subtly try to steal the throne from the king by putting yourself there in his place? Do you really, in your heart of hearts, know better? You think you're the one in charge. You've got this. About 10 years ago, I was on the jury uh, for a, a really horrible case in England uh, where we lived. And after days of delivering, uh, deliberating, sorry, I was elected as the foreman, which in the UK, I, you might, I might not be the same here, yeah, but that was the, I was the one who had to stand up in the court and declare to the world and answer the question, do you find the defendant guilty or not guilty? So I declared to the world that the man opposite me in a cage was guilty. In this moment, there were tears from the man as his guilt was announced. There was joy from the lady that sat opposite him, accusing him of this horrible crime. The relief was clear. She was right. What he did was wrong, and he was guilty. There had been justice. Friends, this is what Hezekiah would have felt hearing God speak through Isaiah. Sennacherib was guilty. Hezekiah, full of relief, all in one simple declaration. Friends, this is the same for us. When Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven to come to earth and lived a perfect life and died a death and rose again, he stood there and took our sin and our punishment. We should have been there, friends. We should have been the ones in the cage because of our rebellion, our rejection of God. So we've arrogantly lived for ourselves. 
by dying on the cross that day, friends, he took our punishment that we deserve. It's he that received the judgment and we get to switch seats. He sits condemned now, guilty in our place. It's on him that the guilty verdict falls and he gladly chose to do this for you. You receive now the joy and relief of being set free. The good news, the relief, the tears of joy are ours, friends. But not only this do we escape and have freedom, but you're also made God's son or daughter. Jesus' death turns this guilty court scene where you sit accused into an adoption ceremony where you have been chosen. God, in his grace and mercy, sent Jesus to take your place. And now, as a sinner, you receive his righteousness and God sees you as his own, part of his chosen people. But friends, this is only the case if you respond to Jesus. If you now skip ahead to the end of the chapter, you'll see our very short third point. This is the result. There had been judgment and prophecy from God in verses 20 to 34. And then we come to the conclusion. All that God had promised and declared came true, just as God ordained. The Assyrian army decimated in one night. And Sennacherib decided to turn, turn home, thinking this was his best arrogantly uh, misunderstanding uh, plan, that it was actually God's plan all along for him to return home. And he went and he was killed by his sons. Friends, for each of us, that judgment day is coming. And God has promised that it is. There is no denying it or avoiding it. God in his mercy has said that all will be judged. And his people, that's those that trust in Christ, he will look on them and see his righteousness. And on that rest, they, on that day, they will be judged on their own, those that have rejected him, and they will face eternal punishment. Friends, God is in control and he answers prayer. So we must pray. Pray for one another. Come to the regular prayer meetings. Begin your days in prayer. Let your life be filled with prayer as it's our clearest demonstration of our dependence on God. He can use any means he likes. And today, if you're sat there hearing about what Jesus is offering, and you're, you have the chance to respond. As I said at the beginning, God has brought you here today to hear this message. Do not miss this opportunity to come to Christ. For each of us, once we die and once we pass from this world, the case is closed. There is no turning back. God chose and ordained for Sennacherib to fall the way he did. And God holds out the same invitation to you today to respond in praise of his holy name and his awesome name. At the end of the book of 2 Kings, the Israelites see the hope of a future king. How God's chosen line has not come to an end as the Israelites were worried about. 550 years before his arrival, this book and the Old Testament was all pointing to a coming king, the Holy One of Israel, the one whose kingdom shall be made sure forever. Friends, as you know, this was pointing to Jesus. I mentioned bike riding at the beginning, and you'll be glad to know that my son can now uh, ride a bike completely on his own. I don't run behind him anymore. <laughs> I leave him on his own. I do that classic thing 
where uh, I send him out, and that time I'll never forget just waving at him as he realized my hand was no longer uh, behind the seat. But friends, that is not how God deals with us. He doesn't just release us into the world with a, okay, you got this, buddy. Love you. All the best. That's friends, that's not how God deals with us. We never graduate from trusting God and depending on him. God never lets us go. God never releases us from his care. This book and our passage show that no matter what is happening and who is on the throne, God is in control. Call to him, pray to him, ask him to save you like Hezekiah did, knowing that he is the only one that can do so. He'll never let you go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, that you are in complete control. Lord, we know that you are sovereign, meaning you are king over everything. We're so amazed by the grace you've shown us. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We uh, just marvel at the love and care you've shown us. Lord, help us to come to you no matter what kind of day or week or month or year we've had. Lord, whether we feel great or we come hurting this morning, uh, Lord, you welcome us in. Lord, we thank you that you've made a way through your son, Jesus, uh, that we can come and bow before your throne. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, taking our punishment so that we don't have to. Lord, help us to go from this place, Lord, trusting you, calling out in your name, praying to you, dependent on you. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.